Glad uh, you led us into the throne room so well. Next Sunday, uh, we are not going to be in the story. We're going to take a break. Haiti team is going to share next Sunday. Uh, Secondly, we're going to celebrate Lord's Table Communion. And finally, we will have a time where we will uh, invite those of you who could use anointing by the elders, James 5.13. That will happen all next Sunday. Uh, So you're going to get like a triple header next Sunday. Uh, Three for the price of one. And that will give you three reasons to get out of bed on spring ahead Sunday. Because... It's that Sunday, you know what I'm saying? So we'll give you three really good reasons to get here, and uh, please come next Sunday. Last Sunday, we were uh, in chapter 19 of the story. The Lord uh, worked it out so that God's chosen people, the Jews, were able to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. Do you recall any opposition? Lots of opposition. Uh, They, first of all, wanted to infiltrate and be a part of, and they said, no, you you worship other gods. You're not going to be a part of this. Then they got ticked, and then they started threatening, and they got the people afraid, and then they went so far as to bribe the officials. We're going to stop this work. We're going to do whatever it takes. Anybody recall how long did they stop the work for? Ten years. For ten years, the work on rebuilding the temple was stopped. But then the Lord worked and they were encouraged and they rebuilt the temple. Today, we are in chapter 20, going from Genesis to Revelations. revelations. Uh, Probably both are true there. Uh, Some of the folks who uh, were invited to go back to Jerusalem decided, "Um, I think we're going to stay. Kind of like it here in Persia, we're settled in, uh, so they chose to stay. And uh, one of the books of the Bible of a group of people who stayed, it's one of only two books named after women. We're going to look today at the book of Esther. And the other book named after a woman is, anyone? Book of Ruth. Two good ones. So if you have your Bible, turn to Esther. Um, we're going to drive fast and furious. Uh, we're going to cover 10 chapters in about 15 minutes. So uh, hold on, uh, buckle up. Interesting fact about the book of Esther. 10 chapters in the book of Esther, never once explicitly mentioning the name of God or Jehovah. Isn't that interesting? And yet, uh, in every chapter, the Lord's presence The Lord's power and the Lord's protection is clear and evident, uh, like almost no other book in the Bible. So even though God's name is not named, He's there. His presence, His power, His protection are alive in this fast-paced book. The theme is God's sovereignty, God's in charge, God's arranging His plan in His story. Ready to go? Esther chapter 1. We're going to fly. Xerxes was the king of the Persian Empire. Esther chapter 1. Xerxes' grandpa, his name was Cyrus. 
And he was one of those who allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, Xerxes' father's name was Darius. And he too was involved in the nation of Israel going back to the promised land. Xerxes was the most powerful man on earth at this time. He was the king. His kingdom went all the way from India to northern Africa. Got that in your brain? He was literally the king of the known world. Xerxes, Exeter chapter 1, throws a series of banquets and parties. He's got representatives from all of his kingdom, and he wants to impress them because he wants the bigwigs to give him the green light to go to war with the Greeks. About ten years earlier, King Darius, that would be Xerxes' father, went to war with the Greeks and lost. And before his father could get revenge, he died. So now, Xerxes wants to go back to war. He's going to get revenge for his father. And these banquets, six months of parties, were called to kind of show off and impress everybody and and make them happy and say, sure, we'll go to war with you. So at the end of the six months, look at verse 10, uh, Xerxes says, you know, guys, I've got this amazing wife and she's gorgeous. Uh, Would you like to see her? Would you like her to come out here? Uh, And many scholars believe, I think they're probably right, they didn't want her to come out with anything but her crown on. Uh, And she's thinking all of these drunken guys and they just, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. So when he calls for her to come out, she refuses. The king of the known world isn't used to being told no. She says, no, I'm not coming. So Xerxes, with the help of his advisors, the seven eunuchs, I like to call them the seven dwarfs, uh, they banish her. Get her rid of her. She can't be the queen anymore. Xerxes gets the green light to go to war, and he heads out for four years of battle. Tracking with me? So now Xerxes is off with his armies, and he's out there battling the Greeks. Here's the problem. They lose. They lose big. The Persian army is defeated. The Persian navy is defeated. And after four years now, Xerxes comes back home with his tail between his legs. He's defeated. He's lonely. He's missing Vashti. He's worn out. He's depressed. And the officials see if we don't do something fast... He's going to invite Vashti back. And she's going to remember whose idea it was to get rid of her. And the seven dwarfs are in big trouble. So they dream up something. You ready? Let's have, hey Xerxes, let's have a Miss Persia contest. Um, And we're going to decide who the most beautiful virgin in all of your kingdom is. We're going to bring them from India to northern Africa all the way to here, and they can all audition to be your next queen. And this is how Xerxes strikes me. He, he said, uh, okay, that sounds good. 
So it's just kind of how, how he seems, and you'll see this later on. Uh, okay, let's go do it. So they, they do exactly that. They search, they bring the most beautiful virgins from his entire kingdom in, and a Jewish great-granddaughter of exiles from Israel, from God's chosen people, an orphan named Esther, auditions, and guess who wins as the next queen of Persia? Any guesses? Esther. Esther is the next queen. She wins the Miss Persia queen contest. Esther chapter 3, here we go. An enemy of the Jews named Haman. Haman, he is a descendant of the Amalekites. If you go back to King Saul, he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He disobeyed the order from God, and therefore Amalekites survived, and one of the descendants of the Amalekites, his name was Haman, and now he's wormed his way up into favor with King Xerxes, and now he's number two in all of the kingdom. He's like the vice king. Okay? Tracking with me so far? Uh, so Haman is like this big deal in town, and he wants everybody to bow down. You are the man. Show honor to me. Well, the man who raised Esther, his name was Mordecai. And he knew who Haman was. You're, you're an Amalekite. You are an evil descendant. You are a proud and pompous man. I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to pay homage. I'm not going to pretend. And therefore, Haman hates Mordecai. Following me? Now here's how mad Haman was with Mordecai. I hate you so much. I want to destroy you so much that Haman goes to Xerxes and says, I'll give you billions and billions of dollars if you'll let me destroy some really wicked people. He wants to kill Mordecai. He hates him so much. I'll pay you billions if you'll let me just kill this person and all of his people. Now remember, Xerxes had spent a lot of money, lost a lot of ships, lost a lot of soldiers. He's kind of broke. So now, Haman says, I'll pay you billions. Doesn't even ask who they are. Uh, okay, I'll take your billions. Okay, so go for it. Esther chapter 4. Mordecai and the Jews are devastated. They understand what Haman has just done. He's gotten permission to slaughter and annihilate God's chosen people. Scholars estimate that kingdom-wide, there were 15 million Jews living in the kingdom that Persia controlled. So Mordecai puts on sackcloth and ashes. He knows if God doesn't do something, there's going to be a slaughter. This is going to be worse than Hitler. See, this wasn't the first time that somebody wanted to slaughter God's chosen people with Hitler. Uh, Haman had that same idea. So Mordecai, who raised Esther, comes to her and says, you got to go to Xerxes. you got to go plead with him. Tell him to change his mind. 
Save the Jews. Save your people, Esther. Go and plead for me. Plead for yourself. Plead for your fellow Jews, Esther. Uh, this is a bad. He's going to kill everybody. Um, Esther says, chapter 4, look at it. Um, it's been five years, Mordecai. Uh, we're not exactly tight right now. The honeymoon's over. He hasn't called to see me or talk with me uh, for 30 days. Uh, besides, everybody knows if you interrupt the king of Persia without permission, the penalty is death. Can you imagine that? That's somebody who really wants their privacy. If you interrupt me and you aren't invited, the edict, the penalty is death. Here's what Mordecai says in response. Look at 4.14 if you have your Bible. The most well-known verse in all of this book. Mordecai says back to Esther, who knows? Maybe this is the reason the Lord put you in this place at this particular time, Esther. This could be why you were born, why you won the Miss Persia con contest, why you're the queen, why you're in, who knows? Maybe this is your time, Esther. Esther chapter 5. Uh, Esther realizes that um, her greatest fear, she might go in, the king would reject her, the king would have her executed, was also her greatest opportunity to be used by the Lord. And she thinks this through and she says, you know what, if I do nothing and I watch as my husband allows Haman to destroy my cousin who raised me like a father, destroys all my fellow Jews, that it would be worse to live than to do nothing. To do nothing would be not to live at all. So uh, here's what Esther does. Uh, Esther chapter 5, she calls for a fast. She says to all of her fellow Jews in, in the capital city, would you join with me? Would you fast and pray for three days? I need to go and I need to risk it all, but first, would you pray for three days for me? Are any of you in a crisis right now? Any of you facing something that seems overwhelming? Any situation going on in your life right now and you're thinking, man, if God doesn't come through, this is bad. Might I suggest you follow Esther's lead when you're facing a crisis? Uh, I'm, I'm going to withhold water and food for three days. I'm going to cry out to God and I'm going to ask, Lord, would you, would you do something supernatural? Chapter 5, verse 2. Um, Esther dresses up. She's looking good. She gets the hair done. I, I got a feeling she's smelling marvelous. And what she does, this is brilliant, she appears in the doorway and just sort of peeks at, at Xerxes. And sure enough, Xerxes looks at her, and like I said, uh, she looks good. Uh, uh, yeah, you can come. Waves her over, golden scepter. Um, and, and apparently this is like ancient tag. If you touch the end of the golden scepter, you are safe. Safe. Uh, I don't get killed now. And he says, verse 3, uh, you look so good, you can have half of my kingdom, queen. And uh, Esther says, verses 3 and 4, chapter 5, um, here's what I'd like. Could I have dinner with you, Xerxes, 
And I'd like to have dinner with your second in command, your vice king, hey man. And she says, sure, sure, no problem. Esther wanted to meet this guy, kind of get a read on him. This hey man who so hated her cousin Mordecai, who was willing to give him billions of dollars so he could destroy Mordecai and, and annihilate and exterminate the Jews. So chapter 5 and verse 9, this is the kind of guy Haman was. He goes home and he's so excited. Guess what, family? I get to go to dinner with just the king and the queen. And I'm the only guest. So he throws a little party for himself at home. Because I'm amazing. Because I'm wonderful. Because I'm Haman. Um, Verse 14 Haman's wife says, you know, uh, you better get busy building those gallows to hang Mordecai high, don't you think? Maybe you should hire some extra carpenters to work overtime because it's looking really good for you, hubby, and you can hang him high. Esther chapter 6. King Xerxes can't sleep that night. Maybe he had an upset stomach, I don't know. But for some reason, he can't sleep. He has uh, the official king's reader come. Hey, ring me, read me the chronicles of my reign. So that'll get me to sleep. So he starts off and he, he reads about this episode where Mordecai, remember Mordecai? Esther's cousin who raised her as a dad, saved Xerxes' life. There was a plot to assassinate Xerxes, Mordecai heard about it, came and told the king's officials and saved Xerxes' life. That's what they read to him. And Xerxes says, yeah, I remember that. Um, did we ever do anything to, uh, to thank him? Did we do anything to reward him? And the guy reading says, no, it doesn't look like it, nothing. Next morning. Haman shows up bright and early. <laughs> I'm going to get right on the job. I, I'm amazing. I'm excited. And uh, Xerxes says, hey man, um, how would you honor somebody that you really wanted to, to make look good and honor and lift him high? Now, now catch this. Haman thought that Xerxes was talking about who? Himself. Yeah. So he says, oh, I'm going to make this one good. Uh... Let him wear your royal robe, Xerxes. Uh, and let him ride your royal horse, Xerxes. That'd be good. Oh, and, and if you really wanted to honor him, let him wear your royal crown, Xerxes. Um, and then finally, let a nobleman uh, walk the horse while he's up on the horse with your robe and with your crowd and have him shout everywhere throughout the capital, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Verse 10, chapter 6. I hope there's a DVD library in heaven because uh, I want to pull this one off the shelf. I, I want to look at Haman's face as Xerxes says, that's a great idea. Why don't you be that noble man? And you, uh, here, take my robe and take my crown and you can go get my horse and I want you to dress Mordecai 
put him in my robe, put my crown on him, sit him on my horse, and you lead that horse around, and you shout all throughout the capital city how great and wonderful Mordecai is. Isn't that fun? That's a fun verse right there. Uh, so all day long, uh, Haman has to shout how great and marvelous his hated mortal enemy Mordecai is. Esther chapter 7. Uh, Haman knows he's in trouble. Esther's requested another dinner date with just her and the king and Haman. And when he comes in, he realizes Esther's just told Xerxes, Haman has pulled a fast one on him. He didn't even know exactly what he had done when he agreed to take billions of dollars. Uh, she says, you know what? Haman has betrayed and tricked you, and now he wants to terminate and exterminate all the Jews. And oh, by the way, king, I'm a Jew. He wants to kill me. He wants to kill my people. He wants to kill Mordecai. And this is fun. Esther chapter 7, verse 10. Those gallows that he had built quickly and high, guess who winds up being executed at those very gallows? Any guesses? Haman. Haman dies at the hands of the executioners. Exodus chapter 8 through 10. Mordecai becomes the vice king. Verse 2, uh, Xerxes says, why don't you take my signet ring? You just be the number two guy. Um, Esther says, you know, I, I have one more request, king. Verses 5 to 14, would you allow the Jews to defend themselves? Would you allow the Jews to get prepared and they can take defense and they can get weapons and anybody who wants to attack them, they're going to return the favor. And sure enough, if you slide down to verse 17, they protect themselves, they rise up, and many are converted and become Jewish because they've seen Jehovah God protect His chosen people. Now even to this day, track with me, they celebrate this in, in Jewish uh, Religion, if you're Orthodox, this next Saturday and Sunday, they celebrate what we just read about. God protecting his chosen people from their enemy. It's called the Feast of Purim. And on Saturday, they're going to read about Haman, and everybody goes, boo! And the little kids, they, they have rattles, and he's just a snake. And then on Sunday... They read about how the Lord uses Esther and Mordecai and they cheer, yay, look at God come through and God protects and, and it's, it's a feast of joy and gladness and celebrating what God can do in protecting his people from their enemy. Now, I just want to make uh, one major point today. And uh, that major point is found um, in the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the New Testament. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. And, and while you turn there, I need to ask 
Um, any of you here like to play in a garden? Can I see your hands? How many of you typically, if you can, come on, hold them up. You don't need to be ashamed. That's a good thing, right? Okay, so when you're planting your garden th- this next spring and summer, um, here's my question. Do you plant carrot seeds and then hope that green beans grow up where you planted carrots? Anybody do that generally? How, how about planting tomato seeds and then praying really hard. Lord, I planted tomato seeds or tomato plants, and I'm going to pray really hard that sweet corn springs up where I planted the tomatoes. Would that make sense? Or, or let, let me give you one more thought. Does, does, it, does it make good sense to you to plant squash seeds, and I'm going to expect that I'm going to enjoy strawberries where I planted those squash seeds? Would you ever do that? Those of you who had your hand up, have you ever done that? <laughs> Why not? Because there's a farming rule here. Whatever type of seeds you plant in the ground, that's the type of plant you will harvest or you will reap. Did you know that's found right here in Galatians chapter 6? That's God's rule. That's God's farming law in the Bible. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 7, read down through verse 10. If you're able, would you stand with me now? The lowering of the screen. Here we go. You ready? Let's, Let's read. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your laws, your universal laws of life. And Lord, specifically, thank you for giving us this farmer's law that whatever we sow, Whatever kind of seeds we sow, those are the kind of seeds. That's kind of the the thing that we're going to reap or harvest from those seeds. Lord, there's something in all of us, I know there's something in me, that I think I'm going to be the exception to that rule. I'm praying that you help me, help all of my friends here, to be convinced that your universal law applies to all of us without exception. Calm our hearts and our minds now, Lord, as we dig into your book, as we apply this to our lives. May the third person of the Trinity, may your spirit be welcomed today in your church. And all the church at Walloon Lake said in agreement, He man 
sowed seeds of destruction. Haman sowed seeds of pride and arrogance. He sowed seeds of lies and deceit, hatred and revenge, and he expected that he would reap, that he would harvest great success. I'm going to reap rich reward for all of the ugly seeds I've sowed. I'm going to have this amazing harvest, but instead he reaped, he harvested death and destruction on himself. Most scholars believe death and destruction on his family. He was pretty sure that he could sow all of these ugly, evil, proud, hate-filled seeds and and everything was going to be wonderful and he was really terribly wrong. He reaped exactly what he sowed. Esther sowed seeds of courage and faith. Mordecai sowed seeds of courage and conviction and faith. And track with me now. They reaped, they harvested life. They harvested blessing. God's blessing was upon them. They harvested salvation for 15 million Jews. Whatever we sow... That's what we're going to reap. But we think to ourselves, I can sow watching the clock at work. I'm going to be lazy as I can possibly be. I'm going to criticize the boss. I'm never going to take initiative. I'm never going to give it my all. But I'm still expecting that I'm going to get a raise and a promotion. Because I think I'm the exception to this rule. I can rarely pay attention in class. Um, I, I don't turn in my homework. I don't study for tests. I quite often sleep in class. I give the teacher grief whenever I can. But I'm still on planning on getting a B or a C in this class. And, and I'm pretty sure that one day I'm going to get into a good university or a college. Because I think Jesus likes me. (laughs) There's something in us. There's something uh, in all of us that in some area we think that we're the exception to God's universal law. Whatever I sow, that's what I'm going to reap. I can eat french fries and donuts and cheeseburgers every day. I can avoid exercise and taking care of my body, but I'm still going to be healthy. My cholesterol is going to be fine, and boy, I'm going to check in, and I'm going to be in great health. How's that going to be? Because I'm the exception to the rule. What what I sow there is not going to be what I'm going to reap. I can spend money that I don't have to spend. I can charge stuff on my visa that I don't, uh, I'm not going to be able to pay for. I don't need a budget. I can spend whatever I want. I'll figure it out. Somehow, I'm just going to be okay. How's that? I'm, 
I'm the exception to that rule. I can plant foolishness and recklessness in my life, and the Lord will bless me anyway. I can coast in my relationship with my wife, with my husband. Don't have to make time for him. We don't have to have a date. I don't need to look out for their needs and interests above my own, but I'm still going to have a great marriage. I'm still going to have a a marvelous marriage uh, because I'm pretty sure I'm the exception to that rule. Did you know that preachers, pastors, can be sucked into this deception? I got the gift of gab. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been preaching a long time. I don't need to study. I don't need to pray. I don't need to prepare much. But God will still show up and use me in powerful ways. Why is that? Um, Because I'm hoping that I'm the exception to this rule. I can yell and belittle my kids. I, I don't need to teach them God's word. I don't need to pray with them. I don't need to model Jesus with them. I don't need to spend much time with them. But I still know that I'm going to have godly and marvelous kids and they'll be just fine. How's that? I think I'm going to be the exception to this rule. I'll give you one more. I don't need to show up to church regularly. I, yeah, I know it's God's plan for today. Uh, this is God's tool to reach the world, but I'll just show up whenever it's convenient. I don't need to serve. I don't need to use my gifts. I, I don't need to tithe. I don't need to give sacrificially. I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm not much into that praying like Daniel stuff, but Jesus is going to bless me anyway. How's that? Well, I think I might be the exception to his universal law of life. I'm going to plant poison ivy and dandelion seeds, and then I'm going to be surprised when I don't find apples and cherries in the garden where I planted poison ivy and dandelion seeds. Listen close. Whatever type of plant, whatever type of seed that we sow into the garden of our lives, God's word declares no exceptions. It will take root. It will grow in our lives. You and I are not the exceptions to God's universal law. You and I are not the exceptions to God's law. I want you to say it with me because I'm telling you, some of you, you're thinking, no, no, I'm pretty sure. No, no, you're not. So here, here you go. I am not the exception to God's universal law. What I sow, I will reap. Now, some of you still don't believe that. So I say it again. I am not the exception to God's universal law. What I sow... I will reap. Let's pray. Lord, we have an enemy that doesn't want us to believe that. We have an enemy that does everything he can 
to get us to buy the lie that I'm the exception to God's law. So thank you for giving us your word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. So as we pause right now, Lord, would you bring to mind where we're sowing seeds every day, planting seeds in our lives, And Lord, if there are seeds that are dangerous and destructive, would you point those out right now? Make clear, Lord, activity that we're involved with. That if we keep sowing, it's going to result in a sad and painful harvest. Something down deep in us, I think it's full of pride that we think that we're going to be the exception to your universal law of life. We're going to sow one really bad thing and we're going to reap something wonderful. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you soften our hearts? Make us aware of the seeds that if we keep planting will produce heartache and regret in our lives, in our families. In our marriages, in our relationships. Anybody hearing from the Lord this morning? Anybody saying, yeah, I, I see some seeds that I've been sowing and I've been hoping that I'd be the exception, but it's it's clear I've been believing a lie. By your grace, the kind of seeds I've been sowing need to start lining up with your book. And I want you to see my hand right now. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward. But I'd just like to pray for you right where you're at. Lord, you're talking to me. Some seeds that I've been sowing and I've been hoping I'm the exception to the rule but it's obvious that's a lie I've been deceiving myself been being deceived by the enemy help me Lord to adjust my thinking anybody yeah are there others yeah anyone else no more no more sowing garbage and and expecting amazing results. Anyone else? Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for uh, my friends who you're speaking to now. 
those areas where we need to adjust what we're planting and sowing into our lives. Give us strength, give us courage, give us faith, give us perseverance. Lord, help us to do it your way. Kill that deceptive lie that we get to be the exception. The ultimate deception, are you ready? The ultimate lie is to believe that you're just nice and moral and good and surely Jesus will allow you into heaven. And most people believe that lie. Even some of you here today, you've been deceived. All you got to do is be nice and good and moral and Jesus will invite you in. fact is, Jesus took your place, Jesus took my place on the cross. He didn't say, do nice, moral, good things, and that's the road to eternal life. No, that's the wide road that leads to destruction. He said, get on the narrow road. The narrow road is the done system. I took your place. I shed my blood for your sin problem. I took your place in the tomb. Early on Sunday morning, I arose from the dead, and I did that for you. That's the done system. Jesus, I believe you did that for me. Jesus, I believe you shed your blood for my sin problem. Jesus, I believe you took my place in the grave. Jesus, I believe that early Sunday morning, you arose from the dead. By faith right now, I receive you as Savior and Lord. That's the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for your book. It's alive, it's quick, cuts down deep, shows us what's really going on down underneath the surface. Work powerfully in the church family here in this week ahead. Help us to sow some godly Jesus shining bright seeds. It's in Jesus' amazing name.